Uh, as we get settled in, I'm going to stretch us a little bit this morning, okay? I'm going to ask you to turn to two places in your Bible, all right? So get ready. Uh, if you have a Bible, the first place that you can open is 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is not something we normally do. Uh, normally, as a church, we preach exegetically, so we start chapter 1, verse 1, and work our way through. Uh, but today, we're gonna, uh, I want you to turn to 2 Timothy 3. Once you turn there, I want you to mark it somehow, some way. Uh, and then you're going to turn back to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to begin in Colossians 1 and we'll end in 2 Timothy 3 today. Uh, the reason we're turning them, the reason really this uh, looks the way it does is because we are starting and kicking off today our yearly value series. So today, if you're a visitor with us, or maybe uh, you've been with us for a little bit, and you're like, hey, I want to know more about this church, man, the month of September is always a great month to come, because you're going to learn about what we value. Uh, And so, really, what we do each and every September is we like to take a break from what we're currently teaching through, which is right now we're working through the book of James, and we want to spend, this year, we're going to spend four weeks really uh, looking at what we value as a church that has been planted and rooted in this city. And the reason we do this in September and not January is because, uh, man, as we come off the summer uh, and people kind of get into their fall rhythms, man, I, I kind of feel that, that a value series now gives us the opportunity to really set the course moving into the end of this year and even into next and kind of an observation that I've made, and I don't know if this is just because of the season of life I'm in, or really just because a majority of our people are young marrieds with families. But man, uh, for me, as I think about this, when I think about the fall, uh, an observation that I've made is people are more, they seem to be more alert, uh, more energized and ready, kind of moving into September, into what we would call the holiday season, than in January. And, and I think largely because uh, if you have children, you got to send them away to school uh, this week. Like, there's just something about it. It just gives you a little bit of energy. Like, Haley and I had our first date day this Friday when I was off and all three of our kids were in school, and it was glorious. Like, we got so much accomplished, and we were just, like, it was amazing, and we loved it. But I, I feel that there's just something about moving into the fall, right? Like, football season starting, go Cowboys. Uh, you know, you've got that kind of, people are getting into those fall rhythms, and uh, and, and it, there's just something about this time where uh, it seems that, uh, man, doing a value series now rather than January when people are really preoccupied with their New Year's resolutions or they just have the holiday hangover. Uh, now we can really just say, hey, this is what we're about. This is who we are. And so with that, if you don't know, maybe uh, maybe you've been with us for a really long time and you didn't know this, but we have, as a church, a couple of years ago, we put together a vision statement. And our vision statement is this. Center Church seeks to be good neighbors to Brenham by joyfully displaying the good news of Jesus in every part of life. And so when we talk about the life of our church, when we think, man, what are we going to be about? That's what we're about. And so really quickly, let me just run through it again. I just want to kind of break down. We've, when we first launched this, we did a whole series, a whole value series in September on our vision statement. But really quickly, uh, let me just break it down again. So Center Church, and again, we don't mean the building. We also don't mean the programs, right? Like we mean the people of God, those who are followers of Jesus that are a part uh, of this local body. 
We are seeking, which means we are, while we are not perfect, we are actively seeking this to, to be this in our city, which is to be good neighbors to Brenham. And the avenue by which we do that is joyfully displaying the good news in both word and deed in every part of our lives. And so as you hear that, maybe this is the first time you've heard it, or maybe you just heard that over and over again. Uh, but as you hear that, I want you to think for a moment, what would it look like if we were all seeking to be good neighbors to others by joyfully displaying the good news of Jesus in our lives. Like, just think about that. Like, if it, man, if we, like, as a body, if, if we, uh, man, if we lived out this vision statement or this mission statement that we have in the church, how would your life look different? How would your relationships look different? I mean, I think even as we press into that, like, one thing we've got to risk, like, how would this church look different? If we were all like in this unified goal of saying, no, we as God's people in this context are going to be good neighbors to those in Brenham by displaying the good news of Jesus. And some of you are like, well, I don't live in Brenham. It's okay. Just fill in that blank. All right. Uh, like that, like, but what would that look like? Man, what would Brenham look like? How would it look different? And I think if we began to do that, like, like, uh, you know, collectively, uh, you know, and, and like that was kind of like, hey, that's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to be about. And I think things would look a lot different. You see, the reason that we planted the church here, the reason we felt called to plant in Brenham is not because we felt like they needed another church. There are plenty of churches here. There's actually churches here that will, like, they, they can, like, trace their lineage back even before this great state was a state, right? Like, they're like, no, we're not just when it was Texas. Like, we were before, okay? And, like, you know, so it's not that we just said, hey, man, Brown needs another church. There are plenty of good churches here. Now, you see, the reason we planted here is because we believe that God wants to create a culture of good neighbors that joyfully display the good news of Jesus, and specifically in the context of smaller towns like Brenham. I told you all last week when we felt called to plant, we were like, let's go to a bigger city because we want more restaurants. Does anybody know what they're putting in on 290 over there, by the way? Nobody? Everybody's like, oh, it's Chick-fil-A. It's got to be a Chick-fil-A, right? And then we're like, yeah, we're just dreaming it is. It's got two drive through lines. It's got to be a Chick-fil-A. Uh, <laughs> I hope. Uh, but, you know, like we, that, like, that's where we've come to. I'm like, if we can just get a Chick-fil-A or, you know, just sell, like, let's go, right? Uh, but that's, that was our kind of mentality. But man, now, like, now that we planned, I've been around like other pastors. I've got a group of friends and, and, and man, we, we are all have planted in kind of, you know, uh, the rural context. And man, we love it and we are passionate about it. And really one of our goals as a church, uh, we're not there yet, but man, I would love to see another church plant come out of center church to, man, places like Belleville or Somerville or, you know, the surrounding area where we see, like, man, like, let, let's not, uh, so often I think that, man, you know, and Brenham's not really that small of a town. Like, I grew up in a small town. This is like a big city to me. But, uh, like, when we think about, it, like, man, we don't want them to get left behind. Like, we, man, we believe. And, like, I think you see in culture right now, man, people are moving to smaller places. And so we, man, that that's our heart. We want to create a culture 
that, that, that looks like that. A culture that says, man, we, we want to be good neighbors. We want to be intentional with who we are. We want to share this good news that we have. But what is a culture? A couple of weeks ago, I was at a, a pastor's lunch and there's this pastor planter named Dave Ferguson. Uh, he has a, a, a group called Multiply and it runs the Exponential Conference. But he, he said this, he defined culture as the spontaneous repeated patterns of behavior. A culture has spontaneous repeated patterns of behavior. It's just natural to who you are, right? This just comes natural to me. It's spontaneous. I'm not having to be told to do it. And I repeat it. You see, what I want to see is that what we value, which I just shared in our vision statement, would become the narrative or story we tell. And again, I want to say this. I don't mean what we value as like that we would proclaim the story and narrative of the Center Church brand. Guess what? If Center Church shuts down, the kingdom still grows. It doesn't stop the kingdom. We're here to build the kingdom. I mean, by God's grace, we get to be a part of that as the church, as Center Church. You see, my hope is that we would begin to proclaim a narrative and story that we would go to people and say, man, we want you to come and be a part of what's going on in the life of our church so that you might have your life transformed by the good news of Jesus. And that this would lead by grace to an ongoing chain reaction of spontaneous repeated patterns of behaviors in the life of the church and in the lives of those to whom we get the opportunity to pour into. And so to see this happen, what this is doing, this leads us into our series for the month. You see, I believe that if we want to see what we value impact lives, we are going to have to change the narrative. So the stories, the topics of our conversation, uh, not just amongst one another, but when we're out and about, right? Like, man, how are we not again, not saying, hey, you need to come to center church and be there on Sunday. And that's kind of your checkbox. Like, that's great. But it's like, no, we want to see people invest in one another's lives. But you see, along with that, man, if we're going to allow what we value to get in and begin to influence, man, it's going to have to begin to influence and change our behaviors. And so that's what we're going to look at. Really, for the next four weeks, we're going to look at four behaviors that I think are going to lead to kind of creating this culture that we value. And up front, I want to say that, man, uh, the goal of this, these four weeks, is not that you would leave with external behaviors. The goal is that God would get a hold of your heart and that would then lead to external behaviors. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to look at how what we value leads to these behaviors. And I'm going to push us to really engage in the implementation or the growth of these things as a church that I pray will lead to our values being displayed as we make disciples and grow as disciples. And so the four behaviors that we're going to look at is, is this. First, and we're going to start with this today, that we would be biblically transformed. Next, that we would be not just a welcoming community, we would be an engaging community. And then week three, we're going to look at what it means to live into and out of honest transparency. And then we're going to close out with what does it look like for us to be a people of caring service. So y'all ready? I woke up at 3 a.m. like ready to go. 
So, I, I, yes, I've had two cups of coffee, but even without it, like I was just like 3 a.m., I was like, let's do this, okay. Like I was up and going because, man, I'm excited about what I believe God wants to do through this series. And so let's begin by talking about what does it mean to be a people that are biblically transformed. But you see, to answer that question... I think if we're going to begin to answer that question, we first have to ask ourselves, man, do we even need to be biblically transformed? Does it even matter anymore? I mean, with the state of information and technology to the point that it's at, and guess what? Like, information and technology is only growing exponentially, right? Like, we, like... You know, I remember when I was a kid, like, you had dial-up internet, and, like, you were like, oh, my gosh. Like, nowadays, like, it's just, like, you can't even keep up with technology. So do we even need the Bible for transformation? And I think, uh, as it's always been, culture says what? No, right? Like, culture is always saying, hey, you don't need to be biblically transformed. Culture says, be you. Culture says, you are truth. And if not, like, at least truth is relative, right? So your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. Go after what you desire and want. And if you don't know something, what do you do? Google that joker, right? Like you Google, or like, because things have gone even, like, we don't even have to Google it. We just say, hey, Alexa, what's so, like, so many conversations at our dinner table, like, we end up talking about some random animal with the kids, and it's like, they'll ask some random question. We're like, I don't know. Hey, Alexa, what about this? And then, like, because we're so used to it, we get upset and angry when she doesn't know the answer. Like, how dare you, Alexa? Like, get your life together, right? Like, I don't understand this. And so we see that in culture, but also, and again, we, we do, uh, we try to do this all the time, or we, you know, oftentimes we can say, well, the culture out there, they're doing that, and that's wrong. Actually, a lot of times, what's going on in the culture, we allow to slip into the church. I mean, I believe that this is snuck in as well. That this idea that, man, you don't really need the Bible. You don't really need to be transformed by the Bible. Just let your feelings, happiness, and desires dictate your transformation. We say things, if it's like if this, if it's not easy, run away from it. If it's not comfortable or conducive to your schedule, don't be a part of it. If it costs you something, go to church somewhere else. If you want it, just name it and claim it. And then the blessings, right? Praises go up, the blessings flow down, right? Not biblically right, by the way. If the songs and sermon don't make you feel good, go somewhere else. I don't really need the Bible. I have the Enneagram. I have the five love languages. I, and I want you to say, like, I love the Enneagram. Enneagram's not a bad thing. It's just a tool, though, right? At the end of the day, I'm, I'm a nine, but I'm not a nine. At the end of the day, I'm in Christ. And He was fully all nine of them <laughs> to perfection. And so while I can use that and see my tendencies, it's only a tool that I might look to the good news of Jesus. I have a celebrity pastor, I have the podcast host, and they tell me what I need to do and where I can find fulfillment. Maybe today for you, you're like, I don't need the Bible, it's Sunday, I come here, I hear the Bible, and that's my Bible for the week. Maybe you don't think you need to be transformed by the Bible because you got this. 
And as we said before, you don't got this. None of us do. But here's one more. I hear this all the time. I know the Bible is where I need to go, but I don't have what? I don't have time. I, I, as I went to sleep last night, I thought about that, and I was like, well, let me just do some math, which is that's a big thing for me. Luckily, we have technology. I grab a calculator. Uh, you have 1,440 minutes in a day. If you take 15 minutes, you still have 1,425 minutes in a day. You've got time. And the, reason, the other reason I know you have time is because you have time for all the other things you have time for. Anybody get their, their, uh, their update right about this time on Sunday mornings on their iPhones of how much like, time they've spent on it? And like you, you react, either you walk in here with guilt or you walk in here in worship because based on what your percentage has gone up or down. We've got time to be on social media. We've got time to watch seven, eight, 20 minute to an hour long shows every night on Netflix. We've got time. Because you make time for what you love, but not only that, you make time for what you believe will transform your life. But you see, if this is the state of our view of the Bible, on our view on the Bible being transformational, is it working? How is the seeking of transformation elsewhere going for us? Probably not very well. Is it making us better neighbors? Is it leading us to share the good news of Jesus? I would argue no and would say that this is why we need to grow as a people who are biblically transformed. Meaning that we go to the written and infallible word of God for our transformation and change at all times. And first. You see the thing is that to do that. To, to be a people that are biblically transformed. And it takes a posture that we have to come to the word humbly and with an understanding of one, our need, and two, its ultimate authority to change us. I mean, how do we often go to the Bible, though, right? Knowledge, it's not a bad thing. I need to win an argument, so I need that verse. Oh, I really need just to pick me up and just, you know, I need that encouragement today. Again, not a bad thing. But that's, that's shallow. We gotta go deeper. And how often we go into it with a posture of humility and need, looking to it as the source of our transformation and the place where we read and begin to understand this good news that we claimed has changed our lives. You see, God's word transforms us by challenging us and convicting us by healing our brokenness and giving us rest. It's not one or the other. And it's not, hey, I'll take some of that, but not any of that. It gives us life and draws us to worship. And so in countless ways, or in countless ways we need, man, we must and we have to be a people who are biblically transformed. And so how do we approach the Bible with a posture that produces or leads to this lasting transformation? Well, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to lay out four things about the Word of God that I believe will give us framework 
along with some practical resources that I hope will help. Uh, and really, I, I want us to, my, my hope is that three things would happen. One, that as a church, uh, this, as this behavior begins to change, that we would become first biblically dependent. That we, as we tell our children and we teach them the song, right? Like the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I stand upon the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Like that we would actually live that out and it not just be a song, catchy song we sing. That we would actually teach our children what that means and not just be a catchy song they sing. Next, that we would, as we grow biblically dependent, that we would grow to be biblically literate. I don't mean just Bible drill and knowledge. I mean heart transformation that leads to obedience. And then lastly, that that we would see transformation, the transformation of ourselves, the transformation of the church and those that we're called to. You see, if we're going to be a culture of biblical transformation, we have to understand the first thing we have to understand is that God's Word is not about us. Rather, God's Word is about God. Now, some of you are like, no, that's not very true. Because like the way I read my Bible, the Bible, it's always about me, right? I open it. God, this is what I need. It's a transaction. You give it back to me in the form of one, maybe two verses, because I don't want to be stretched too far. And it better be in the same place, Right? I'm not going hunting for anything, but this is what I need. Some of you might say, well, I know that, but man, I think oftentimes, myself included, uh, we live as if the word is about us. We approach the Bible as if it's about us. You see, there's a wrong way and a right way to approach the word of God. The wrong way is to make the Bible about you. You see, when you make the Bible me-centric, what happens is naturally the, the God's Word turns into a roadmap or guide where you just take bits, the bits that you like, and you cast off everything else. Or I just take what I need in the moment, and then I'm gone. You make the Word of God revolve around you, and doing this is backwards. But not only this backwards, it, man, doing that, it's not relational at all. It is every bit of it is transactional. Eugene Peterson once said that the way we read the text, uh, the, the, the text that seems to be most in favor on the American landscape today is the text of the sovereign self. That when I go to the word of God, man, I'm the one that's sovereign. What he means is that we go and say, this is about me and it has to fit around me. Jen Wilkin in her book, Women of the Word, which I'm going to quote a couple of times today, argues that if our reading of the Bible focuses our eyes on anyone other than God, we've gotten it backwards. We've gotten backwards the transformation process. You see, the Bible, while it does tell you about you, it is always in light of who God is and what he has done. Again, the way we often respond to it, the way what we often believe is the backwards way, which is what I do tells me what? Tells me who I am, which is why when you meet someone, you the first thing you ask them after introducing yourself is, hey, what do you do? Because that's where we find that identity, right? 
And then what we do tells us who we are, which then, uh, because of what we've done, then God does everything we couldn't do. And that tells us that God loves us, which is totally backwards and wrong. Now, really, we begin with who God is. And that who God is tells us, well, what has God done? Well, God sent his son, Jesus. And then we say, well, who am I? Well, who I once was. Was I was an enemy of God, but now because of what Jesus has done, man, I can be called a child of God. And therefore, because I'm a child of God and I have identity and I don't have to do anything, man, that leads to obedience and transformation. The Bible is a book about God that tells you not just about you. The Bible tells you about your need and inability to be made right with God. But it goes further because then we see that God would give himself so that you might be who God has called you to be by revealing himself as being the center of everything. Simply stated, the world does not revolve around you. The world doesn't revolve around me. I mean, we try, right? (laughs) Every day we try to make the world revolve around us, do we not? I know honest honest transparency is coming in like two more weeks, but we can go ahead and be honest about that, right? Like we, we try to make it revolve around us. Even when we do a lot of good things, sometimes like our heart behind it is so that it could be about us. God's word doesn't revolve around you doesn't revolve around me. And if you and I are to be a biblically transformed people, we have to begin with placing the main character of Scripture in its proper place. And so the fir- first thing is th- that we need to know is the Word is about God, which leads me to point number two, which is that the Word of God is centered upon the good news of Jesus. You see, Jesus is the apex of the story. He is what all of Scripture is leading towards and what all of life and creation flows from. In Revelation, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I love John 1. It says, in the beginning was what? In the beginning was the Word, which is Jesus, the Word that would put on flesh. The Word was with God and the Word was God. All that finds its createdness does so through Jesus, for He is the creator of all things. And so with that, let's, you can open to Colossians 1 if you're still there. If not, it'll be on the screen. I want to continue with kind of this posture of who we see Jesus as in the Word. Verses 15 through 20 says this, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and indivisible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross." So here in Colossians, what Paul does is he builds out this beautiful picture of Jesus' center. And if you didn't know this, the reason Center Church is called what it is is because we are a people that say we are centered on the gospel. If you come to our basics class next Sunday, you'll learn more about that. Uh, But 
We are centered upon the good news of Jesus. We see him. He is the center of all things. He is the firstborn of all creation. Not that he was born, for he has always been. He is the creator of all things, for he is the word in Genesis 1 by which God used to create everything. And not only were we created by him, not only are all things created by him, it says all things were created for him, for his glory, his name. Which I think for us, man, like if we're, man, we run into that me-centric thing, like we should just sit back and think, man, what have I created lately? Right? And then go look at the sunset. And then just be like, nothing. He's the head of the body, Paul says, the church. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And in verse 20, through him, all things are reconciled unto him by the peace which he made through the shedding of his blood on the cross. And man, this reality of Jesus shedding his blood on the cross is not some afterthought. But it was the plan all along. You see, God at the fall in Genesis 3, God didn't, he didn't freak out and say, oh my gosh, what are we going to do now? No, he already knew this was already Known in eternity past. And we see this in Genesis 3 following the fall. God's not freaking out. Actually, what God says is, hey, where are you? Why are you hiding? God God knows, already knows what's happened. He's just trying to draw Adam and Eve out into confession so that they might walk in His grace. And, And what we see is God says at the end of Genesis 3, He says, hey, look. He's dealing with Satan. He says, look, man, one day someone's going to come and they're going to crush your head. See, Genesis 3 onward is leading to the apex of history, which is the crucifixion, death and resurrection of Jesus. You see, this is not simply some historical reality that we should remember. Jesus is the model and example to us of what life is to look like. A life that is lived in close dependence upon God and His Word. Well, if, you've, if you go through the, the, the New Testament, the, the Gospel letter, and see how many times Jesus quotes the Old Testament. With every temptation that Satan brings to him, what does he do? He just quotes Scripture. And then I want us to think, how, how do we often view following Jesus? Especially when it comes to being biblically transformed. I don't know about you, but man, uh, in the late 90s, these things came out. They were bracelets. Not fancy bracelets, but they had four letters on them. They said what? WWJD, right? And people went crazy. It was like Christian Beanie Babies, right? Like they went nuts. <laughs> like, and the more bracelets you had, the holier you were, it seemed like. You know, like people were like 30 different colors of WWJD, but their life was not <laughs> doing what Jesus would do, right? But like, that's what we did. We're like, as long as I've got this bracelet, I'm okay. I don't need to transform because guess what? I can just show this. And people are like, you got it, right? You paid your, I don't know how much they cost, 50 cents, and you got that bracelet. But what we would do is oftentimes, and I believe we still do this as believers, we ask that question, man, what would Jesus do in this moment? And we process it, but really we don't process it with God's word. What we do is we just process it within ourselves, and it's just like, oh, just be kind. But our heart's not kind at all, right? (laughs) Like, just grit my teeth and bear it. Like, he turned the other cheek. I should too. Um, 
which uh, I won't tell that story. Um, <laughs> it's not time. Um, but you see, the thing about those bracelets and the thing about living life like that, which is simply asking that question, is a bracelet can't, uh, can't do, those four letters can't do what only God's word can do. WWJD doesn't go deep enough if the answer to the question doesn't lead us to and line us up with the Word of God. You see, you can't say you're doing what Jesus would do all day long, but if it do, you can say you're doing what Jesus do all day long, but if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, then you're not doing what Jesus would do. So I think a better question, like as a, instead of what would Jesus like, man, what has Jesus already done and how am I called to walk in obedience in light of that? And the place you find the answer to this is by the Word and the Word alone. You see, when you go to the Word, you have to be willing to submit to what it says and respond accordingly. Guess what? Even if it's not easy and doesn't give you what you want in the moment. I've had countless conversations where I've talked to people and people say, Well, I, I feel like this is what I need to do. And I just respond, okay, what does God's word say? And usually the common response I get is, I don't know. Or, I know, but that's not how I feel. I don't feel that way. Or, another way we say this to try to get around that is like, well, you know, I prayed about it. This is how I feel. To which the response is, what does God's word say about it? But I prayed about it. For the thousandth time, no one talks to you more than you do. No one lies to you more than you do. And Satan is a crafty little devil that is the, the father of all lies. So what you do is if, if you pray about something and then you go to God's word and it's not what God's word says, you need to reject it. No matter how you feel about it. And we need to be okay with that, right? Because the reality is, it's like we're not perfect. Another thing I would say is if you feel a certain way, your feelings aren't necessarily bad, but don't let them rule you. Let them lead you where? To God's Word. And so if we were to be a biblically transformed people... We have to see that the word's about God. First and foremost, he is the main character. Secondly, that it's centered upon the good news of Jesus. It leads me to point number three, which is that the word of God gets to the heart by the renewal of the mind. Romans 12, 2 tells us not to be conformed to this world, but we what? Transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see, what we find here is that biblical transformation, which is transformation that we, it's the transformation we are after, comes by way of the head to the heart. Some people say that it's the journey, the 18-inch journey, from what happens in here to when it gets in here. You see, because if what we know doesn't get down into the heart, we find no real transformation. You can know a lot about the Bible. Many people can quote you chapter and verse all day long and have no concept of grace and its power to transform the life. The Pharisees knew the entire Old Testament by memory. And what does Jesus have to say about them? 
He says, man, you're whitewashed tombs. He says, you're like the blind leading the blind. Jesus was right in front of them. The word. And yet, no, I, I know it. You see, when we do this, this is due to the reality that head knowledge alone, what all that does is puffs us up. It not only puffs us up, it makes us defensive and reactive when met with conviction or accountability. While in the end, not being deeply rooted enough so that when struggle or temptation comes, man, we're quick to quit. But you see, on the other hand, if you only go on the whims of the heart but you know nothing of God and are not grounded in the Word, you will be tossed to and fro, acting in rebellion and a self-righteousness that leads to no change. But you see, when what we know, with, our, with a posture of humility and dependence in our hearts about God, when it makes, in our heads, when it makes its way by grace to our hearts, that leads to change. We are renewed, Roman 12 states, by our minds, not our hearts. Uh, Jen Wilkins in that book, Women of the Word, says, The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. Transformation is head to heart, not the other way around. It is to think deeply about God by way of His Word that leads us to know more about Him. And guess what? As we know more about Him, we are then able to love Him more. And as we love Him more, we begin to love the things of the world less. And in turn, not only find identity and security in God's love, we are transformed by it. I think one of the greatest examples you can use of it is marriage, right? Like, I cannot claim to, to love my wife if I don't know my wife. And guess what? Just because I said I do and I said I love you then, like, guess what? It's a continual growth in getting to know Haley. I know Haley better now, almost 10 years into marriage, than I did then. And that, that's what, that, like, that is a picture of, man, as we walk with God, as we dig into His Word, it is, man, God, I want to know you so that I can love you more. Not so that I can do more. We, you will do things. Simply, man, I want to know you. I want to choose the good thing. But that takes time and it takes intentional time. And I'm speaking both to marriage and to our relationship with God. And so let's close with point four, which is that the word is imperative for transformation. Uh, if you're still there, Second Timothy 3, we're going to read verses 16 and 17 as we close out. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Alright, so if the Word is about God, if the Word is centered on the good news of Jesus, and if transformation comes to the heart by the renewing of the mind, what we see here in, in, in Paul's letter to Timothy is that the Word is imperative for biblical transformation. And so let me just quickly break down the passage to show what I mean. First, it says all Scripture. So the whole, the full counsel of God's Word, not just the parts you like and the parts you understand. Guess what? God is inexhaustible. 
you will forever, like not just until the day you die, but for all eternity, you will be learning about who God is. That's He is inexhaustible. And guess what? You won't get tired of it. Actually, all you'll do is love God more and more and more and more. It says that all Scripture, so the entire counsel of God's Word, is breathed out by God. That word breathed there is the same word we get for wisdom. It is the very wisdom of God. And then he says it is profitable, which is beneficial. But it goes even further. Like What he's saying here is he's saying the Word of God is the standard of truth. What that means is truth is not relative. It is concrete and it's found in the Scriptures. And then following this statement of its worth, Paul shares with us the ways by which it's profitable. He says it's profitable, and this is both for the individual and for the church body, for teaching, which is where we're at now, right? It's profitable for reproof, which is encouragement, like that we would, man, you would be built up in encouragement. And we really like that one, right? But you can't have that one and not accept the next one, which is correction, which is where we usually take issue. Right? Like, don't tell me what God says about how I'm to live my life. And then lastly, he says, for training, which is the growth and the equipping and understanding of the gospel and its implications for your life. And then he, he, he gives those ways, and then he gives the purpose. He says, here's the two purposes of it all. He says that you may be complete, which is that you may have no lack. You see, by understanding God, you understand you, and you become secure in you, no lack. Then secondly, he says, you are equipped for every good work. And what that means, like what the first thing I want you to hear is you have a part to play. But the second thing is you must be equipped for the work. You see, what God is doing in you through his word, he wants to do through you to proclaim his word. You see, this is what we're after when we say that we want to be a people who are biblically transformed. But how in the world do we do that? Well, it's only by grace. It's only by admitting that, man, we don't understand it, that we often make it about us, that we're me-centered when we read the Scriptures, and just being honest about that before God and others. And then it's saying, God, man, I need to depend. Instead of running to those other things, let me, man, make it a habit. Let me see my behavior change because of God's love for me so that I might go to His Word first instead of frantically grasping at whatever else it is. Man, that we would do this in context of community that we would make time for it and take time for it but again it gets to the practical which i just want to lay out a few practical things as you uh walked in you might have seen a table in the back i encourage you to go look at it uh i'll just make this note because i was freaking out uh there's some books on there called women of the word uh, i encourage you to get it i'm gonna talk about it in a second all the other books are commentaries and things like that please don't take those uh, those are just from my personal library. Uh, those are, that's what I use to study. But I just wanted to give you all some examples. Um, but the first thing you're going to see on the resource table is, man, and if you want to get to the practicals, you've got to be in the Word. You've got to be in the Bible, right? And if you're not, start there. <laughs> get in the Word daily. You don't know what version to read. We use ESV here. CSV is really good. If you need something that's a good kind of like secondary tool to help you learn and grow in the understanding of the scriptures, uh, one to use kind of on the side, the message by Eugene Peterson is a great resource. I wouldn't say use it as your primary, but it's a great secondary resource. 
And as you read, man, read the text each day. Read the text multiple times. Don't just read it once and close it up and say, okay, I got to go. Read it multiple times. Chew on it. The second thing is, man, I want to encourage you, man, to, to read books. If you've been around me a while, like, like I just, I just like that, like I, I believe in it. Or listen to books. Like it's, they're both good, okay? But there's two, like, especially in terms of being biblically transformed, women of the word, grab a copy, they're free. Men, I would encourage you to read it. I started reading this week. It's phenomenal. Because all it is, like, and she'll say this, Jen Wilk is like, the reason I called it that is just because marketing, that's, that's kind of my niche. She was, but it's for everyone. She's just teaching you how to read the Bible, which is really good. Eugene Peterson wrote a book called Eat This Book that is just a phenomenal resource. There's two other resources up there. How to read the Bible for all it's worth or how to read the Bible book by book. Another thing you can do is get a good commentary. If you're reading through a book of the Bible, there's really good commentaries that aren't very expensive. I have some examples over there. Just look through them. They're really they're not heady. They're really straightforward and practical. Don't Google. Okay? Don't. Because <laughs> there's a lot of websites that are going to give you a whole lot of bad information about the Bible. Instead, like if you don't want to get a comment, like just come ask me. I'm not saying I have all the answers, but we can go to the Word together. Next, I want to encourage you, practical resources, get a journal. And as you read the Scriptures, write some things down. Write a prayer down. There's a thing, there's another paper up there. It's called the SOAP Method, which is a way to read the Bible. It's just an acronym. Scripture, Observation, Act, and Pray. You read the text and then you do those four things. What do I observe? How am I called to obedience and how do I pray? There's an example on the back from one I did a long time ago. I encourage you to grab that and use that, but write it in a journal. And then lastly, get involved in equip. The reason we have equip is not just so we can hang out at 6 a.m. every Tuesday morning, men. We dig into the Word and say, what, is, what, are you, what have you been reading? What's God been doing in your heart? We're starting Revelation on Tuesday. It's going to be an interesting like 11 weeks that we're going to be in there. So, uh, uh, man, just, man, show up. Like, even if you're like, I've never read the Bible. It's okay. Just show up. Ladies, Thursdays at 12 up here, they're doing a Jen Wilkins study called Better for Hebrews. And if we're going to be a people that are biblically transformed, man, I think we, we've got to wrestle with what that means for our hearts and lives. With where we're at right now, with where your heart's at, how you go to the scriptures, how you approach God's word, and what it means for, man, how you're transformed. As Brett comes up, the last thing that I would say to that is, man, you can't do that alone. And we, we, like, God's word is meant to, it's, it's a, it's a book of community. All of the letters in the New Testament, like, it was all written to churches, like, and they would read it aloud. So the word is for us as individuals, but man, it's meant for community as well. Because we are transformed by the Bible in community. And so, man, I hope you're encouraged. I hope that, man, you're at least thinking like, what does this look like for me? That we would see this, uh, not an external behavior, but that we, man, it would really, that that we would see this as this is something we need. If we're going to be a culture... That's good good neighbors to Brenna, man. We have to start here. We have to start with his word. So, man, I want to invite you today as, as we 
Man, it's to pray and, and, and to ask God to give you a heart for that. Man, to, to open your mind as you read the Word so that it would get in there and you, like that knowledge would not just be here, but it would get to your heart and it would transform your life. And then, man, today as we uh, share in communion, that, man, that communion would be a, 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 a reminder of the Word that put on flesh. Jesus, that gave Himself fully. He didn't look at us and say, well, I don't have time. We've got other things going on. No, that He poured Himself out as an offering. May we share in communion in light of that. And may we worship in light of the reality that we have His Word. And that His Word transforms. So God, I pray for hearts that are set upon You. And I pray that we would just not hear the Word that we'd be active listeners, that, that God, that, that what we know about you, that, that it would uh, get into our hearts, that it would remove idols, that it would cast off things that, that, that we love that are not you, and that we would fall in love with you more and more and more as we learn more about who you are and what you've done. May we stop getting it backwards. May you give us grace to be honest with where we are at. And God, be honest with one another. God, that we would not see Your Word as some scary thing, that some puzzle that we have to figure out. We would simply come with the faith of a child, knowing that You are faithful, that You are a good Father. Lord, let us be a biblically transformed people. And Lord, in light of that, let us go and proclaim that transformation to others. In Jesus' name, amen.